Beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is Friday. We made it to Friday. London Live brought to you by our good friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. If you're doing any renovation projects in the next little while, give them a call. Jacqueline Carbone producing the show today, and Jacqueline's going to be very busy, and I think you are too, to kick off the show. You know what tomorrow is, right? Tomorrow the London Knights take on the Ottawa 67s. Tonight the London Knights take on the Saginaw Spirit. I mean, we can pick any one of the next three days, and the London Knights are playing somebody. They're a busy team. But I have in my hands, and we'll talk a little bit more about why I have these in my hands in just a bit, but I have in my hands tickets... For the Knights and the 67s, I have three pair, as a matter of fact, and we want to give those away. Tomorrow is one of those extra special days. Tomorrow, something is being done that hasn't been done since early 2002. So what's that, 16 years? The period of time between the London Knights wearing eggplant and teal and now is old enough to drive. That's been a long time. But right before the 2002 playoffs, Markendale Hunter went back to the traditional green and gold, and people have been loving that as the Knights uniform since. Tomorrow, eggplant and teal with the old logo that fans affectionately refer to as Spider Knight. I don't know whether that's a compliment to it or not, but that's what it's called. On Superhero Day, we'll be adorned by the 2018-19 London Knights. And it just so happens that you can be there. Now, here is where this gets interesting. We are going to give away three pairs of tickets right now to kick off London Live. Here's the only thing that we ask. Please be available to go to the game. Don't win the tickets and then say, oh, yeah, but we have that family reunion. You know those January family reunions with the barbecue outside. Beautiful. Well, please try not to do that because it means you are taking those tickets away from somebody else. Okay? And so that's that's really the only thing we ask. What we do have is an opportunity to give these away courtesy of a Knights Mustangs tie because each and every year the Mustang women's softball team does a fundraiser and they send kids to a Knights game who wouldn't otherwise be able to go on a regular basis, some kids at all. And so we want to congratulate them. They're doing it twice this year. It has been such a successful project that they're able to do it for two games. One of those games happens to be tomorrow. So here is the skill testing question as we kick off London Live this afternoon. All we need you to do is name a player who wore eggplant and teal with the London Knights, okay? I'll let you know when the phone lines are ready to go. So picture that right now. doesn't matter if you Google the player. I'm going to give you time. We want to make this as easy as it is for everybody to have a shot at these tickets thanks to the Mustang women's softball team. So picture a player or think up a player who played for the Knights and wore eggplant and teal. Here's what else is coming up on the show yesterday. Again, thank you for the conversations that we had. We promised that we would find a criminal defense lawyer to talk a little bit more about the changes that have been made to the impaired driving laws, and we've done that. 
Francis Brennan is going to join us at 2.40 today. So that is in roughly 90 minutes from right now. Francis Brennan will join us from Francis Brennan Law, and she'll run through this. We'll have a conversation about that. If you didn't get a chance to weigh in yesterday on the idea that police officers are able to knock on your door after you've driven home because somebody has thought it suspicious that you were driving maybe eh, a little bit erratically, something was wrong, something was up, they're able to give you a breathalyzer. That's been the big thing. And so many scenarios were painted yesterday that make you think this could be a hefty court challenge. We talked about it again last night on On Point with Alex Pearson. And that kind of became the end of the conversation where, yeah, we're going to have some scenarios. They may make it all the way to court People will have to pay for their own lawyers. They may even have to pay for their own toxicology experts. And then the loopholes may be addressed. So this is one to watch out for. This is one to really pay close attention to. So Francis Brennan will help us to understand the ins and the outs of that. There is a protest going on right now in the city of London. And it is aimed at concerns over the extinction of, well, us. So we are going to talk with Lisa Carrier after 2 o'clock about what has been termed the Extinction Rebellion. I can't wait to hear what goes on here. We are also going to talk with Bob Usher, the GM and the CEO of Covent Garden Market today. One of the things that's been a topic of discussion, not just this week, but certainly for the last little while, is the arteries downtown. We've seen a lot of work done on them. We have Dundas Place that is opened. If you haven't walked down that stretch... That is as aesthetically pleasing a stretch of any city as I've ever seen. That was beautifully done. That was, hey, we need a hand for everybody involved in that. If you haven't done it, do it, even though it's not exactly a warm day outside. When you get a chance to walk through Dundas Place right around Budweiser Gardens and then on east, please take advantage of it and do it. But how are the arteries working? Because we hear, you know, bus traffic Bike traffic, car traffic, delivery traffic, in and around Covent Garden Market, which I really feel is kind of that heartbeat of downtown. What exactly is it looking like right now in January of 2019? Bob Usher will join us to talk about that. And we are also going to look at sports betting because a weird thing happened in arena football. And, you know, when things happen in arena football, you have to pay attention. No, you don't. You really don't. Arena football is trying to stay alive. But in order to do it, they're moving to Atlantic City. Not the league, but they're moving a team there. And the hope is that that can lead them into great fortunes. And sports betting is involved. We'll get the details in about a half hour. And in about six minutes' time, Craig Marshall is going to join us. Not Greg Marshall. We talk to him sometimes on London Live. Craig Marshall. Who's Craig Marshall? Well, he is from Marshall Holmes. And when we look at all the different housing styles that exist right now, there is something brand new on the market. And I don't even think it's available in London yet. I guess it could be. It's called the Flex House. If you get into a position where you're in that so-called sandwich generation, meaning you're still not finished raising your kids, and then the people who raised you, I guess you call them your parents, they need some assistance, what do you do? Well, that's where the flex house comes in, and we'll find out exactly how it works, but it creates a home where you can have multiple generations living comfortably 
together. In fact, living independently until that day when they need a little bit of help. And that little bit of help is only a door knock away, maybe a text. You can text within the home. I think we've accepted that, haven't we? So Craig Marshall comes up. But as promised, I've given you time. I hope you've been Googling. Phone lines are open right now. 519-643-2222. We have three sets of two tickets each, thanks to the Mustang women's softball team, to go and see the London Knights and the Ottawa 67s. Here are the only two things we ask. One, that you be able to go to the game. It's at 3.30 tomorrow at Budweiser Gardens. You don't have to go to Ottawa. This is coming to you. So Budweiser Gardens. And we need to know the name of a player who wore eggplant and teal with the London Knights. First up, we have Justin. Justin, can you name an eggplant and teal London Knight? I believe I can. Uh, Corey Perry. Corey Perry did, in fact, wear eggplant and teal, and then he actually went through the uniform switch. Congratulations, yes. Justin. Thank you. You are off to the game tomorrow. Awesome. Hang on just Thank a second. Much. We'll get some information, so don't go away. 519-643-2222. Denise, can you name an eggplant and teal-laden knight? I had Corey Perry also. Well, I'm going to call you correct, because and Corey I, Perry is still right. And I have one of those shirts. Do you really? And now, do you have the white version, or do you have the, the actual eggplant version? Eggplant. You have the eggplant. And I believe yes. that's what they're going to be decked out in tomorrow. So, Denise, Corey Perry is correct a second time because we didn't make any stipulations. And mm -hmm. so you have yourself two tickets to tomorrow. Hang on. We'll get some information. Thank you. And we will head to Danielle. Danielle, eggplant yes. and teal. Hi. Um, I think Chad Kavanaugh played at that time. You are exactly. Look at that name. Chad Kavanaugh. What made you pull Chad Kavanaugh out? Well, he's a center, and he had high scoring, and he did well, so I figured yeah. put him. Chad Kavanaugh has a claim to fame that I think most of us have long forgotten. That year that the Knights only won three games, he was on that team wearing eggplant and teal, so Danielle, congratulations. You're off to see the London Knights and the Ottawa 67s. Thank you. But Chad Kavanaugh was on that team, and the Knights had not won a game, and it was their final game before the holiday break. And Chad Kavanaugh is the guy who had a hat trick in that game and helped the London Knights to break that streak. That's why I picked him. Nicely done. Hang on, we'll get some information from you. That is impressive. I'm very impressed. Chad Kavanaugh, yes, Corey Perry, you could have named Eric Pacey, could have named Ryan McKee, you could have named so many different people. That team, that, well, I guess any of the teams that wore those uniforms, it's strange because, yes, there was that team that only won three games, but that uniform nearly got into the Memorial Cup. Remember in 1999, the Knights... Coached by Gary Agnew, Paul McIntosh was the GM, and they made it all the way to Game 7 of the OHL Championship Series in Belleville. Belleville ended up winning that Game 7, but they got just that close. So that uniform was worn, yes, in some tough times, but also in some real turnaround times. And it was even the uniform that the Knights were wearing when Mark and Dale Hunter took over as owners of the London Knights. And there, there's still some magic in there. That's why I can't wait for them to put it on tomorrow, because that first year, Picture the odds of this. We always talk about odds of things. Picture the odds of this. That first year, the London Knights needed to win their final three games before the playoffs in order to have a chance to even make the playoffs. But not only that, 
they needed the Kitchener Rangers to lose four straight. And this was very well known. So lose a game, tie a game, because you could tie in those days, didn't matter. That, that would leave you out of the playoffs. They had to win three, and the Kitchener Rangers, even with a tie, would eliminate the Knights. Over that last week, the Kitchener Rangers lost four consecutive games, the London Knights won three consecutive games, and the Knights made the playoffs. A little magic in the eggplant and the teal. We will take a break. We're going to talk Flex House in just a little bit. Craig Marshall is going to join us next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Is there anything better than somebody seeing a problem and then finding a solution, figuring it out? For so long, we have had generations, and it doesn't always happen, but where you're not finished raising your kids yet, and then your parents are in a position where they're having difficulty looking after themselves in their own home. And so you have families who have to decide, okay, how do we do this? Do we make many trips back and forth to mom and dad's? Do we have mom and or dad move in with one of their children? Do we look at perhaps assisted living? What do we do? Well, that's where our next topic comes in on London Live. Because there's something that we ran into called a flex house. So it's flex, F-L-E-X, but house is H-O-U-Z. And it might actually be H-O-U-Z because I think this originated in the U.S. But this is something that may solve issues that families in those situations would have. Now, it does involve building a new home. But perhaps once a number of these are on the market, it wouldn't involve building a new home. It would involve finding a house like this. And joining us right now to describe what a flex house is is a guy who deals in them quite a bit. From Marshall Homes, Craig Marshall joins us. Craig, how do we describe what a flex house is? Well, the flex house is a, uh, it's basically two houses in one. There's a, uh, a 975 square foot bungalow built into a two-story house. Uh, they have a private entrance. It's, uh, it's, it allows a, a second resident, whether it be a older parent or it could be somebody, uh, you know, that have millennial children that want to help out. Uh, and they move into this part and they provide a mortgage or they or they help pay the mortgage and the millennials uh, live in the other house and they can afford something in uh, in our area, if we London or Toronto or wherever. It's just so expensive to uh, to, to find a house and to buy a house for uh, for young people. It's uh, It's sad. <laughs> If we look even at some houses, and I'm thinking in London, in Old South, there are these big, beautiful homes, and they will have what has always been referred to as a granny flat. But basically, it's a separate entrance into the basement, and that is where someone could live, whether it was a housekeeper, whether it was a granny. And again, same sort of thing. It would give them their own privacy. Paint a picture for us in a flex house. Where is that second unit where another person could be living and, and helping pay some of the bills. Well, that's, uh, that's that's interesting you say that because we do build houses at Bob Cajun as well, and that's for, mostly for retirees. And we don't build stairs in Bob Cajun. Nobody's downstairs because Granny sometimes doesn't want to do the stairs anymore when she gets a little older. So this is right on the main floor. It's it's uh, 
you might go up a step from your uh, from your garage or from your uh, your entrance into the uh, into the suite, but it's all main floor living, and it's uh, connected to the other house with a with a steel door. It's uh, completely fireproof from the other house, but it is a bungalow. There's no stairs. It's it's made for someone that may uh, develop a walking issue or bad knees or uh, or you know it could be somebody uh, uh, that has a disability that uh, that needs to be on the main floor. It might need a little help. So you've got the family next door. Or in the same house, but again, you're private from them. You can live your life uh, in there with the kitchen, the you know the bedroom, the, the washroom. Uh, you can put a stock washer dryer in if you if you wish to. But it's it's a nice little suite, 875 square feet on one floor. If you think of a condo, uh, that's a big condo right now, and this is pretty much what it is. It's uh, it's it's like a condo. It's uh, it's got a single car garage all to itself. So it's it's really main floor living, and it's for the longer term, so that you don't have to put them in a home or uh, you know, rather than put them in a home and spend eight thousand dollars a month, that that might as well be going into or staying in their estate or going into uh, into help pay down the house. So that's the idea there, main floor living. Craig Marshall from Marshall Homes as we talk about the Flex House, which, as Craig has described, is essentially a bungalow inside a house. And we're talking separate entrances. It's not like you're sharing a kitchen because that's always everybody's concern when they're looking. When you get into that sandwich generation where, yeah, you have your own kids, but all of a sudden your parents start to have maybe greater needs. Maybe they do develop a disability. Maybe it's something where you have to move them into your house. It's how do we make our house work? This one allows you to do that. Where did you get the idea from? There's a uh, a company in the states called Lennar Homes, and they build them on really large lots, like 80 foot lots. Uh, in the states, as you know, the the homes are built on bigger lots. They don't have the same sort of uh, restrictions that we have uh, made up in Ontario. So uh, we had to take this house and and refine it to work on a 50 foot lot. And we're currently working on that to refine it to make it work on a smaller lot. So we hope to have. Uh, 38 of these available in the uh, late spring in uh, Pickering, Ontario, actually. Really? Okay. And what has the response been now that the word is starting to get out? It's been incredible. All kinds of people are lighting up our social media saying what a great idea it is. The mayor tweeted out about it. The uh, The city of Pickering uh, love it. Uh, everybody, it's, even my builder friends and colleagues are asking me, uh, you know, how it's going. Uh, just about everybody in our industry has heard of it. It's just it's hit a it's hit a nerve, and I think it's I think it's a good solution to uh, affordable housing. It's a good solution to uh, I'm a baby boomer, um, and at some point uh, I'm I'm going to need some sort of care, I would think. And uh, there's not going to be a ho- enough homes for us. That's just that's just the way it is. There's a big bubble of people getting old, and uh, there's not going to be enough retirement homes. There's not enough now. So this is another another solution for a retirement crisis that we're going to have uh, going forward. So. It's just been very well received by nobody said anything bad about it yet, so don't be the first one. <laughs> In terms of construction, what is this ad? This this ad's about uh, about twenty thousand. Well, I'll say thirty thirty thousand to construction with a kitchen and uh, with uh, isolating the suite so that it's uh, a one hour fire rating to the other suite. It has to be it has to be um, fire rated between the two suites, so that that adds some money to it. Okay, but overall, in terms of actually building the house, does it add time to construction, anything like that? It'll add uh, not too much time, a couple of weeks maybe, if, if that. It's, we're, we build it all at the same time. The kitchens, both kitchens will come at the same time. and So it doesn't really add too much time. It's, a pretty, pretty, uh, it's pretty easy to do. It's not all that hard to do. I'm sure we're going to see lots of them from lots of, uh, lots of people. Uh, lots of different builders will be bringing these forward, just uh, 
as as long as the cities are receptive to it, and that's going to be on a case-by-case basis. Well, Craig, best of luck with everything. Thank you for describing this. It is something that is no doubt a wave of the old future. Well, thanks very much, Mike, and have a great day. You too. Craig Marshall of Marshall Homes on the Flex House so that you can basically have a bungalow inside a house. Now, again, you've got to build it at first, but once more and more of these are built, they do become kind of like the houses with the granny flats in them. Old South is filled with those. We are going to take a break for news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Arena Football League. Now, wait a minute. Before you leave, please don't go. This has another element to it. The sports world costs a lot of money to go and see a professional game. And I really think that if something is not done, eventually, we talked about the pendulum a lot yesterday, right? The pendulum is going to swing back on that, where people are saying, you know... Instead of paying $400 to go and see a professional sporting event, I can use that money for something else. Maybe I'll go and see a majors game in the summer here. Still, you know, have a beverage, sit in the sun. Maybe I'll go see a London Knights game. Maybe I'll go and see Western Mustangs play. London Lightning. That's the kind of thing that that you look at when you realize how much it's costing to go and, and watch the pros. So I really think that pro sports is in a position where they're not going to be able to charge the amount of money they are. But that's not going to bring the end of pro sports. And I think they have sniffed this out themselves. Because what is the push on to get? Betting. Sports betting. We've seen legalized sports betting. There's been legalized sports betting in certain places for a long time. There has been sports betting Probably for always. Do you think Marcus Atticus is going to be able to outrun Josius Atticus this weekend in the marathon that goes from Athens to Crete? I will lay down this duck that he won't. You know that's been going on. Back to when the Greeks were kind of inventing sport. So, in all of this you have the opportunity for that money that is wagered technically illegally in a lot of spots to become legal. And that money goes into the pot that professional athletes can enjoy. And anything going for ticket prices that kind of stalls will be covered over by that sports betting. Well, that's where the Arena Football League comes in. Because we we have seen pro leagues announce agreements with casinos and... We're waiting to see what that does. So they're going to provide information to a certain casino or gaming house. And then, well, we're going to get that information from that gaming house that you can then use to wager on games. But that's still a long way away. In the Arena Football League, it's a little closer. And they're doing it in Atlantic City. They have moved a team to Atlantic City. They've announced that there will be a team in a place that typically doesn't work. For teams. Teams go there, fail, and then either fold or move elsewhere. Well, they're going back for another reason, and that is sports betting. And we're going to talk with David Weinberg from the Press of Atlantic City in just a couple of minutes about that. This is going to be a really interesting wrinkle, and you can bet that leagues are going to be going and saying, you know, I think I'm going to go to an Atlantic City arena football game this weekend. You're going to do what? Yeah, I'm going to go check out some arena football in Atlantic City. 
But they're not going to be watching the game. They're going to be watching the people in the stands. We'll tell you why that is in just a couple of minutes. Do you eat lunch at your desk? I don't know. We we work in a, a strange industry in broadcasting where I like to say doing a talk show is 24 hours a day, seven days a week because you could spend 24 hours a day and seven days a week preparing and you still wouldn't be able to do the best show ever. You would still have things that didn't work. So you always have to kind of be on the lookout for stuff. So we don't really stop to eat, you know, in a cafeteria or, you know, you, you don't get to say, well, I'm on my hour break. I will see you soon. There's always something to do. And so you wind up eating at your desk. And there's a new article out that has come from The Guardian and it quotes Henry Stewart. Now, Henry's a consultant who works actually for, for a consultant firm called Happy. Really? This is a thing? But that's where he works. And he, I wish I could do a better British accent, so I'm not going to do one. But he has a British accent, and he says it's madness, because that's a great word with a British accent. It's madness. We've got to get people out of the hamster wheel of continual work. It's not good for them. It's not good for the organization. All the research shows that people work more effectively if they take breaks. And, you know, that's fine. But when there's always something that you could be doing, you just get into the habit of eating while you're doing those things. I don't know what the ratio is, but how many, if you eat while working or if you work while eating, then shoot me a note. Let me know what it is that you do. Mike at 980cfpl.ca because I'm willing to bet there aren't a lot of jobs these days where you're not at least doing something, whether it's answering an email or whether it's at least thinking about what's next at work. You know, for teachers, sure, they get breaks in the day, but you know what? They're actually prepping classes. So you've got that happening. Yeah, they get to go into the staff room, but I don't even know how that kind of a day works. If you eat while working or work while eating, send me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca. Let's take a break, and then we'll talk about sports betting and why arena football in Atlantic City could be a real gateway for other leagues. And sure, it could be a, a real almost learning ground for other leagues into how they can make this work for themselves. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Yesterday, right about now, we were deep into a conversation about the changes to impaired driving laws and what was uncovered by Sean O'Shea of Global News that really has set off a whole lot of internal alarm bells saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Police can knock on our door? Police can actually stop me while I'm returning empties and say, here, we have reason to believe you need to blow into this. Yeah, it, it looks like that. We had a great long discussion yesterday. We had a lot of different perspectives. We had a lot of scenarios presented. In an hour from now, we will talk with criminal defense lawyer Francis Brennan. And we'll get her thoughts on all of this. I can't wait because I've heard a lot of different legal minds speak about it. You've got to hear Francis speak. That's coming up in an hour from now. Right now, sports betting and a move of a team to Atlantic City, a floundering leagues team, arena football. 
They're moving to Atlantic City, and there is a reason to this. We'll also have to ask David Weinberg about the Philadelphia Eagles as we head into this weekend. You want to see crazy things happening, wild things happening, unexplained things happening? The Philadelphia Eagles have been it for a couple of years. But David Weinberg is with the Press of Atlantic City, also covers the Eagles. David, how is Friday treating you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Now, we're going to talk arena football, which sounds strange because we don't have a lot of arena football going on in Canada. However, there is a very interesting thing taking place in the U.S. right now, and specifically in Atlantic City regarding arena football, where there is a team going to a place where, uh, how would you describe the success rate over the years in Atlantic City of, of pro sports teams? Uh, not good. <laughs> Um, we've had we've had several franchises in different sports. Uh, the USBL, which is no longer exists, I don't think, um, had a had a minor league baseball franchise for a couple of years, an independent league one. Uh, had a minor league hockey league uh, hockey team, and uh, none of them are still in existence for whatever reason. There was just like a lack of support there, and uh, which makes it a little bit surprising that the Arena League would take a chance on Atlantic City. But I guess they um, they they must know what they're doing. And Ron Jaworski, who's uh, who fronted the, the movement to get the team here? Um, he's very—he's uh, a very astute businessman in addition to being a, uh, a former NFL quarterback. And uh, he, he i don't think he would take on this venture unless he thought it was going to succeed. Well, there is a very interesting component to this because we've got an opportunity to maybe glimpse what leagues are looking for in the future, and that is some sort of tie-in to sports betting. You wrote in your article, it's one of the reasons Atlantic City was selected for an expansion franchise. Can you lay that out for us, how that might be such a big factor? Well, Atlantic City was one of, was, uh, one of the first um, uh, towns to, to uh, approve legal or to, to get legalized sports betting. Uh, there's currently, I think, seven maybe uh, on-site sports folks in the casinos. And uh, I think that uh, it seemed like the Arena League, specifically Ted Leonotis, who owns the, uh, a couple franchises down in the Washington, D.C. area, um, they kind of view sports betting as kind of the, as, the, as the key to the success for the Arena League. They've been uh, struggling recently. They were down to like four teams this past season. But the, I think they view it as an opportunity to um, – to, to enhance the fan experience, uh, people are going to be able to, theoretically, people are going to be able to uh, actually like sit at their seats at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City and actually bet on plays, uh, not to mention visiting the various sports books in town and, uh, you know, uh, betting on their favorite team as well. How interested are you to watch how that plays out or how it's received? Very. <laughs> um, it's kind of like the new wave. I mean, people have been speculating what the new what the next step is going to is going to be with sports betting. I know the Arena League entered into a partnership with DraftKings, I think, and uh, Resorts Casino in Atlantic City also has a DraftKings also operates their sports book, so they're they they're clearly um, looking ahead to to what is possible here. I know Atlantic City's also been at the forefront of uh, esports. Uh, they're building two new facilities actually at Convention Atlantic City Convention Center and uh, Boardwalk Hall, I believe, to uh, to get that. Part of uh, uh, of sports involved, you know, people kind of uh, drawing to that to that aspect, which seems to be a a, a growing um, a growing event. So uh, I think combined with both of them, I think uh, they're looking at sports betting as as I guess a possibly a way to save that league uh, 
uh, the Arena League I'm speaking of. We are talking with David Weinberg from the press of Atlantic City, and we're talking about an arena football team going into Atlantic City where there hasn't been a lot of success. However, there is legalized sports betting. So that, as David says, you could sit, watch the game, and actually bet on plays. Is this a venture that the NFL is watching closely, that other sports leagues are watching closely? I think you'll see some scouts from leagues turn up just to see how a game goes. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a uh, leagues are always looking for new ways to to uh, enhance the fan experience, to the boost uh, the popularity and exposure of their game. I, I think the NFL, the major sports leagues, might be a little leery at first. Uh, they don't seem to be to uh, very much in favor of sports betting, even though I would I would argue that the legalized version is much uh, is much safer and much more reliable than going down the street to your local uh, local bookie but um uh, yeah I think they're going to they're going to I think they're going to play pay a very very close attention to this and uh you know if it works then you might possibly be able to, to see that in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, who knows. Well, they always need test markets. Hey, before we let you go, speaking of the NFL and and other leagues, we do have football this weekend that we'll see the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that you cover, taking on the New Orleans Saints. Give us an idea of of what you think might happen there. Well, <laughs> logic kind of dictates that the Saints should should win pretty easily, but uh, if there's one thing I've learned about covering this team, especially in the last couple of years, that you pretty much throw logic out the window, uh, especially when Nick Foles is your quarterback. Um, he's proven time and again here that um, – you know he's able to do the impossible, really, and uh, I, I would expect that I would kind of expecting the Saints to win, but you know, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised considering what happened last week and the way they just seem to be able to pull pull up, pull off upsets that nobody you know nobody expects. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Eagles move on to the NFC Championship game. Wow. I, will there be any explaining it? Because look at back at last week. They score on fourth down when they're down to their very last chance. They need a field goal not to happen. The timeout works, and then a fingertip gets onto a ball. I mean, have you seen in covering football, have you seen a team that has had this much good fortune going their way? Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Not, I haven't really uh, – no, I can't remember a time when, it's, when, it's, when a team has kind of been in this kind of role. I mean – I guess you could argue that the Vikings kind of pulled one out last year against New Orleans just to get to the NFC Championship game, but then, you know, the Eagles throttled them. So um, it's just there's something about this Eagles team. Even last year, they 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 uh, had a, a bunch of injuries and were able to just kind of, including their quarterback, and were able to bond together and wound up winning the Super Bowl. And um, everybody gave left them up. I uh, gave up on them when they were four and six this year, but. Uh, when I think they're now six and one in their last seven games, and uh, everybody's talking about the magic of Nick Foles. You know, you can't really put your finger on us to why, but he just has this way about him that um, he's able to bring that team together and deliver in the clutch. Well, David, thanks so much for running down the story of a new team in Atlantic City that other teams will pay close attention to, and enjoy the Eagles game this weekend. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. David Weinberg from the Press of Atlantic City outlining how arena football may be one of the first, courtesy of the team in Atlantic City, to have that sports betting in the stands where you can just bet on plays. Uh, pass. Mm, pass again. Run. That's what you could do. So that's what has other leagues interested, for sure.
Now, how concerned would she would should we be? We should be concerned to some extent, but I don't know. We sat back and and we were all concerned about what would happen when marijuana was legalized. I don't know about you. I haven't seen anything too too wild taking place here, making it easy to gamble. I don't. I don't know. It's easy enough to gamble now. We've discussed this on the show before. Here, give me a second on my old phone. I'm going to push this app. It's called Flash Score. And I don't gamble. I've never bet on a game other than buying a pro-line ticket every once in a while. And that's that's not even every once in a while. But let's see here. We did get a call a little while ago because I wondered what Bandy was the last time I discussed this. And Bandy is kind of like hockey but played with almost field hockey sticks. It's, it's a different kind of game. But here, look, there is a bandy game in Finland today between WP35 and JPS. And if I push this button right here, it gives me an opportunity to go to a site right here and bet on the game. And it looks like WP35 is favored plus 300. I don't know what that means. Uh, or no, that means they're not favored, right? That means they're the underdog if they're plus. I think that's how it works. So that's how crazy it is. I could place a bet right now and it's not even legal per se so that's always there but now if it's encouraged in a stadium if it's encouraged by a league by a team does that make it different do we need a whole lot of new parameters sports betting is flooding through in the united states and there will be passage and passage and passage of legislation until every single state has given it the thumbs up maybe one will balk at it There'll be it's like the dry section in an arena. Now that's the dry section. One or two will balk at it. But other than that, it'll come through and you'll be able to sit and do that. And what will that mean? What will that do for people who perhaps have an affliction that could see them become gambling addicts? I mean, this this is this is a tricky path, but it's one to monitor, and that's why I wanted to talk today to David Weinberg of the Press of Atlantic City. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll let you know what's coming up. After 2 o'clock, lots still ahead on the show. It's Friday. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Maryland has said she doesn't mind the idea of sports betting as long as the games aren't rigged. I just worry about the addiction side of it. Because when it becomes too easy, and everything's too easy. Look at buying stuff, Period. If you have tap on your credit card, I mean, we all run around with these cards and it's as easy as whoop, whoop, and you don't get a total of, oh, okay, that's how much I have in my bank account now. It's just whoop, yeah, I bought that, whoop. What if you drop your card and somebody picks it up? They can easily walk in and go whoop, whoop a couple of times before you finally figure out, oh, I don't have that card anymore. That's not good. But if gambling becomes that easy, and I know it is kind of like that now, but it's it's different. It's you have to you have to go through more stuff and it's not really presented to you and that whole idea of look everybody else is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Come on. Come on. We're going to the quad, through the gymnasium. Uh that becomes the biggest issue. After 2 o'clock, we are going to talk about the flow of downtown London. We are going to talk about an extinction rebellion. And when they're talking extinction, they mean humans. And we're also going to talk with criminal defense lawyer Francis Brennan about impaired driving changes 
and the big discussions that have gone on this week. We'll have another big discussion on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. And this hour of London Live will feature criminal defense lawyer Francis Brennan as we talk about changes to impaired driving laws and the big discussions that have come out this week, largely prompted by a story from Sean O'Shea that you can see on our website. You can actually, it's probably easiest just to Google Sean O'Shea impaired driving and global news and it'll pop up for you. And you can take a look at, at some of those concerns that have been expressed by defense lawyers. So that comes up. In about a half hour from now, about 35 minutes from now, we are also going to talk with someone who was just part of a rally, a protest if you want to call it, to demand some action. And it was held at City Hall and just wrapped up about six minutes and 59 seconds ago. And what they were looking to do was get governments to be more focused on what is going on in terms of our climate. And this may not be the last one. It was called the Extinction Rebellion in London. And it is asking concerned citizens to mobilize and try to send a clear message to governments about what the will of the people really is. Now, that's coming from their release. I'm interested to hear what they have to say. Because... And, and here's why. We've discussed this topic before on London Live. We do hear from acclaimed scientists that the temperature on Earth is rising. And if it rises a degree and a half by some say 2030, others say 2050, there's no going back. Especially if it goes higher than a degree and a half. And we're going to have some parts of this planet that don't just include Antarctica and portions of the Arctic that are unlivable, where people are living now, and all of a sudden it would be, yeah, we got to move. And I'm not trying to make light of that, but that's what it would be. And what would we do with that? We look at the issues that went on in Syria and still continue to exist in Syria, and we look at A lot of the Syrian refugees who have been displaced from their home country have been taken in by other countries, including Canada. And we look at some of the challenges that exist there. Well, you've got scientists and officials that will say, yeah, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what people would have to do to get away. Now, it wouldn't happen overnight, and maybe that is the difference. But that overnight, we're kind of in our beds right now sleeping. That's already started. It's probably fairly early. This is like if you decide to go to bed at 1030 and, you know, you spend about the seven minutes falling asleep. We're probably not too far into our slumber. So we're not exactly picking up the phone and, oh, it's 230. That feels nice. I don't have to get up for another three hours or three and a half hours or whatever it is. So we're not quite there yet, but soon we will be. And if we continue to accept that, well, yeah, but I still have two and a half, three more hours to sleep. Yeah, this is okay. Eventually, wah, 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 that alarm goes off. And when that alarm goes off, yeah, there is no going back. You can't say, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to go back to sleep here. I'm I'm just not going to get up. You don't keep jobs very well that way. Or the kids don't eat breakfast all that easily. 
You don't want your five-year-old saying, I've seen mommy make toast. You don't want that. So that's the kind of concern that I think needs to exist, but making it exist, that's a whole other story. Because I'm pretty sure we're going to treat this like we've treated a lot of other things. We're going to snooze for a while. And when it gets to a point where you say, "Uh uh-oh, that's when all of a sudden something starts to happen. And I'm not trying to tie myself to a big old oak tree. That's not who I am. But I do read what a lot of leading scientists say. And those scientists are trying to warn people, trying to warn governments. They're the ones that can take action. Right now, I don't think too many people are listening because you say, yeah, it's a long way off. I still have two and a half, three hours to sleep. I'm going back to bed. In 10 minutes, we'll talk about it. Right now, I want to get the flow of downtown London as it exists right here on January 11th, 2019. Because there's been a lot of discussion this week and even going back over the last little while about what would happen if, say, BRT came in. And we haven't really heard anything definitive from our new council on what direction they're going on for BRT. That'll come. Don't worry. They'll get to it. But we've heard a lot of discussion from merchants about how it would work best. If not BRT, then what? What about bike lanes? Where should they be? We've taken bus traffic off Dundas. We now have Dundas Place. There have been some changes. And I want to know how things are flowing in downtown London, don't you? Because unless you're there being able to watch or look out a window and see exactly what's going on, unless you're dealing with deliveries, unless you're watching how things are moving during rush hour peak periods, it's tough to know. So joining us right now is a guy who has a great view of it. Bob Usher, GM and CEO of the Covent Garden Market. Bob, how is the market? Doing fabulously well. Absolutely great. You have become kind of a heartbeat of downtown, and you're able to see how downtown is moving. We get lots of talk about what to do, what needs to happen, transportation. If you look around you, what do you notice about the way people are are moving? Are they using their feet? Are they on two wheels? Are they in a car? What do you see? This time of year, they're not using two wheels, or very few are because (laughs) of the cold and the snow unless you're one of the diehards, and I say that and use that word very lightly, diehard. But, um, you know, our our business is is very different here at the market. When I say very different, we have a a bunch of different uh, clientele. We get in the summertime, we get a whole lot of people who walk into here uh, because there's more and more people now living downtown and more and more expected to live downtown with uh, the new Tricar Tower over at York, with the Azure on... on, um, uh, Talbot, and uh, now the proposals at council for a new 268 or so apartments directly across the street from our King Street entrance, in between, right beside uh, Suki's uh, hair shop. Uh, that you know the application is there now. And they're just waiting for site plan approval. So you know, uh, we get our parking is is very utilized. Uh, it's it's a simple process. Um, you know, so if it's raining, we get a lot of cars. If it's um, if it's a great day, and especially on a weekend, we get a lot of walk-in, and we get a tremendous number of bikes. People that bike here in the summertime, so it's it's a uh, completely sort of uh, mixed bag of tricks. If you're here for a nights game, that you are here a lot. We are full most nights for for nights games, and that's cars. 
Now, if we look at the streets around the market, we're looking at Dundas, we're looking at King, you can go up to Queens. I don't know if we can go as high as, as Dufferin and York, but they're kind of the outside of it. The flow along those streets is always debated. Do you like what you see in that flow, or are you noticing maybe some challenges? Well, we believe here that um, the flow is pretty good at this point, but um, we we are a little bit, not a little bit, a lot concerned when BRT comes and um, closes, takes out all the parking on the opposite side of the street. Um, you know, we were certainly suggesting, as from a market perspective, and I know downtown London was looking at it also the same, where they maybe we think it should go on. Um, Bus rapid transit should go on um, York Street and York and, and Queens. We'll see if that ever happens, and we'll see number one if this new council that makes the decision to go ahead with BRT. That'll be some time off from now, but um, we, you know, we got to start looking at it. The way the flow is right now, it's fabulous. Now, from a from a consumer standpoint, that was looking to come downtown and maybe had a negative impression of. Not necessarily the market, and I hope that's not the case, but um, from a transportation standpoint, with Richmond closed for a while, with Talbot closed, parts of Talbot closed, York closed, um, that's all gone. Uh, come on back. It's, and if you haven't seen uh, the Flex Street on Dundas, wow, they've done a phenomenal job, and it's open again also. So the, the ability to get in and out of the market and into this area uh, is now very simple. Easy. We're talking with Bob Usher, General Manager and CEO of the Covent Garden Market. Kind of the heartbeat of downtown and just what that flow is like in and around the Covent Garden Market on those streets that everybody always seems to have an opinion on. One of the things we do see on a lot of those streets because of the merchants that are there, because of the market that is there, we see deliveries going on. A lot of restaurants need those deliveries. Does that work smoothly or could that be better? Well, it could be better, but... um you know, we have a loading zone off of King Street that we come right up to the curb, and some of our loading comes in off of uh, Market Lane. Um, but there, there are some difficulties with that, and that's one of the concerns that if bus rapid transit and the discussion about possibly putting a bike lane, we're concerned about um, the merchants that are on the opposite side of the street on King to us as to how they'll be serviced. And I think that's something that the city has to really consider and, and look at. Uh, if you have no back, no no back door and no way for a truck to get back there, how do you deliver? I'm sure the uh, planning will take that all into consideration. They've had some public meetings with um, with a lot of the merchants on the street here, and they've got a lot of feedback. And I have faith in our city planners to work this out. All right. Well, I like the the optimism, the positivity. Well, let let me put it to you this way. Uh, with all of the construction that took place, yeah, every, pretty much most of us were around this area. We're feeling the pinch. As soon as Richmond opened up and the streets opened up, it was like the floodgates. Whoa, we're back in business. It was taking, and, and I have to apologize for, for to any of our customers and patrons that came in uh, during that construction period that were finding it taking way too long to get back out because of the con- congestion on, the, on King Street. I thank you for coming, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, it ain't like that anymore. It's a very simple in and out, and we're still doing the uh, half-hour free parking on the week during the week and two hours free parking on the weekend. All you need to do is validate no purchases necessary. So we're trying to make it easy for our consumers to, to get in and out 
And with the city getting as much done as they could uh, before Christmas, we're thankful. Bob, always great to talk. Have a great Friday afternoon. Well, if uh, you're coming out to the game tonight. I will be there. And who's going to win? Well, I'm going to say the London Knights, but I don't like to make predictions. Is that okay? You don't, well, I'm making a prediction that they will win. I was I'll, hoping you were... I was going to bet you, but I guess you don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't do that. Saginaw's a tough team, but uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a fantastic game. Should be a great weekend. Don't yeah, forget, throwback yeah. jerseys tomorrow. That'll bring back some memories. Oh, oh for sure. Anyway, um, my pleasure to talk to you, and uh, th- thanks for calling us. Bob, take care. You're welcome. Bob Usher, GM and CEO of Covent Garden Market. So he likes the flow, and he says now that the construction is kind of Settle down a little bit. Everything seems to have opened right back up. Good news. All right. Flow of downtown looking good. There will be discussions about that coming up. We'll talk about a protest that was held close to downtown right on the steps of City Hall. And we'll do that next. Maybe a little later on, we'll kind of go back over some of those eggplant and teal memories from the London Knights. We'll try and fit that in before the end of London Live today. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. There was a lively demonstration today, happened on the steps of City Hall, and it was put together by Extinction Rebellion London. Joining us right now is someone who was there, someone who is passionate about what was being discussed. Please welcome to London Live, Lisa Carrier. Lisa, how are things? I'm great. How are you, Mike? Not too bad. So... We've discussed a little bit about this. We we talked a little bit based on your press release about Extinction Rebellion London, about what some of the concerns were. Spell out what your major concerns are for us, please. Um, our major concerns, well, so um, Extinction Rebellion on London, we did join with another group called London Ontario Action, or Climate Save today. So I want to make sure that they get credit for getting a lot of people out and mainly it's that uh, our politicians have not addressed the crisis that uh, we know is, is coming. It's If you were sitting there and a truck was heading at you and you didn't get out of the way of the truck, you would know that that hit was inevitable. And that's where we are right now. And we're just we're demanding action from the people that we voted to take care of us. Now, we've discussed this on London Live quite a few times and the idea that we might know it's coming, but you look outside and you think, yeah, but it's fine right now. Yeah, but that's a long way off. How do you get that kind of a message through? Because that seems to be the attitude of quite a few people right now. It is, and I think um, people argue about is it apathy or is it you know unwillingness to move? And I think that the people who know it's coming, it just seems like such a big problem that they don't, uh, people just don't know what to do. So... Extinction Rebellion, um, if people haven't heard about it, I would highly recommend you go check it out. And they shut down um, in London, UK. They're a group that believes in civil disobedience and nonviolent actions to draw attention to the to the crisis. So the thinking is that um, anytime big changes have happened in the world, it's been, you know, like the civil rights movement and things like that have been because people have been um, willing to go out and make a stand and draw attention to the matter. So 
that things can be done and that the reason that they aren't being done is because the political will doesn't exist. So that's where we have to show the the politicians and the people in charge that the will of the people does exist and we, we do want to continue living on this beautiful planet. Lisa Carrier joining us as we talk about Extinction Rebellion London and London, Ontario Climate Save. So if there was something that, that you could get across to people, what would that message be? It would be to not think that it's somebody else's problem. It would be to realize that we each have a role to play here. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that happen when there's protests and things are, did people drive there in their car? Did Are people using a phone that was made with oil? Well, that's what we're fighting for is to make those things not the normal. And that if enough of us come together, we can create a new world and one that's more just and fair and equitable for everyone. And it can be done. And, you know, just find the people who are out there doing the things that make you feel good and that grief and despair aren't healthy options, but finding solutions is. And this is a a good solution, I think, to be a part of. Lisa, there will be people who say, yeah, but this is all in the hands of governments. And until they are willing to actually pass legislation or force corporations to do this, that, and the other thing in order to cut down on some of what's being produced and what's going into the atmosphere. You know, whether or not I buy a phone that's produced by oil, that that has no bearing on it. What do you say to that? I'd say that they are absolutely correct. And that this is why we're in the position that we are. So, I mean... The, the pressures that are on these politicians and stuff from all these lobby groups and all the, the, you know, the things that go on behind closed doors that we don't realize where all the pressures are coming from. I would say that the main thing to realize is that they're not doing anything because we're not making them. And it's our responsibility as citizens. And because we do live in a free and democratic country, we have a right to assemble and peacefully let our views be known and, by coming together like that is how we're going to show them that the will of the people is that they do something. When you have a demonstration, take us into what the time is like, because you were in front of City Hall from 1230 until 2 o'clock. What sorts of things are happening? So um, today is great. We've actually, we've actually been doing this for about six weeks now with um, after Greta Thunberg, the student from Sweden, put out a call and asked people to come together and strike on Fridays. So, I mean, today was great. There was a group there called Rhythms of Resistance with drums, playing beats, chanting, um, just coming together. People have signs, asking people to honk for climate, um, saying that demanding action. So when you come together, it is empowering because you realize you're not alone and that there are quite a bunch, great bunch of people that um, have been acting on this for a long time. So I would... In, for everybody to keep um, on social media and check out because we have been rotating strikes at the MP's offices. So next week we'll be at Kate Young's and the week after that we'll be at Peter Fragiscato's. Then we'll be back at City Hall. So this is something that happens every Friday and will be ongoing until, until something changes. And what sort of thing are you hoping happens? Would you like the doors to open and and one of the MPs to come out and talk, or or is it not even as, as big as that? It is. Well, so we did have a meeting um, with Peter Fagiscatos just before Christmas. Today was 
kind um Kate has come out and we are going to set up a meeting with her. Uh, today was kind of disappointing at City Hall. They wouldn't let us in and they had a lot of security out there and a lot of cops blocking the beat. So I'm not sure exactly what they thought would happen, but uh, they refused to let more than one of us in to talk to anybody. Said they'd send somebody else, somebody out to talk to us and nobody appeared. So that was quite disappointing. But, uh, you know, just to get these conversations going and just to meet with people like we're not here to fight with everybody we're actually on everybody's side everybody who breathes the air and drinks the water that's whose side we're on so just meeting with these people and just again just showing them that that will of the people exists and we we need them to listen to us and make these changes lisa thanks so much for taking some time out to talk to us today right back at you thank you that is lisa carrier who was just 28 minutes ago on the steps of City Hall and looking just to to raise that awareness and maybe start that discussion. We've had the discussion a few times. We'll have it a few more before all is said and done. But I still think it's like you wake up in the middle of the night and at most you might get up and go to the bathroom. That's it. But are you getting something truly done? No. No need to do that. The bed's nice and warm and comfortable. So is our world. Just curl right back up into it. Next, we have news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This is London Live. Sorry, just working out our next guest. We are going to be talking with a criminal defense lawyer. Yesterday, it was one of those days. You put out a lot of feelers, a lot of calls, and sometimes things come back, sometimes they didn't. We didn't get an opportunity to talk with someone who fits that description about the changes to the impaired driving laws. And I made it a point to make that happen today on London Live. And so that's what we are about to do. We are also going to talk some London nights this half hour. We have to tell some eggplant and teal hockey stories, don't we? And look, Rick Nash, who wore the eggplant and teal, has announced his retirement. So I promise a Rick Nash story before we close out today. Promise. Right now, though, we had a huge discussion yesterday on London Live regarding some of the changes to the impaired driving laws. And even though they went into effect in December, it seems that we had a a little residual effect Almost like an echo. Hey, the changes are in effect. Defect, defect. And then Sean O'Shea of Global News said, yeah, you want to know what one of the changes allows for? It allows for, and he even had an example in a report that he got on Global News of someone who was returning empties to a beer store and was asked to give a breath sample. And then there was the, well, within two hours of you driving home, if somebody has spotted you and considers your driving to have been suspicious, they can report that to police, and police can knock on your door and say, we really need a breath sample. And we all started saying, no, that's, no, that's not, there has to be something, it doesn't, it's not like that. Well, it seems like it is. So... Let's get an opinion from Francis Brennan, from Francis Brennan Law, who joins us right now on London Live. Francis, thanks so much for taking some time for us. No problem. Thanks for having me. When you look at all of the discussions that have gone on in the last 24 hours, are you surprised by anything that you are hearing? I'm uh, not surprised. No, I wouldn't say that. I think that the changes to the police powers to request breath samples... 
uh, have changed significantly, people need to be aware that the police now can request any driver provide them with a roadside breath sample or provide them with an oral fluid sample if they are showing signs of impairment. Uh, regardless of whether uh, the police have reasonable and probable grounds to, to make an arrest or to require the person to give a sort of formal breathalyzer sample. So what that means is that there's a lot, police can, whenever they pull over a car, request that the driver provide a breath sample, it, it, even if they don't smell any alcohol, even if the person isn't slurring their words, the driving was fine. With respect to the uh, examples you were talking about, those really go to the changes of when police can ask for samples after driving has happened. So what the new law allows is that police can ask for samples two hours, up to two hours after a person has operated a vehicle, and again, they don't need a reasonable suspicion to ask for a breath sample into, like, a screening device. Uh, so some of those scenarios that you're giving us, for example, seeing someone coming out of a bar, out of a uh, beer store, returning empties, yeah, the police can ask that person for a sample um, and I think people need to be prepared that they will be asked much more routinely to provide roadside breath samples. And yet we had a lot of scenarios yesterday, and in Sean O'Shea's reporting, we pointed to his report a couple of times on Global News, there was some mention that, well, what if you have uh, a divorcing couple, for instance, and one is upset with the other, and they can say, yeah, I saw him driving, knowing full well that the person was on the road, yeah, I didn't like how he was behaving, and then all of a sudden you do get that knock at the door. There, there just seem to be so many gray areas to this, and the law doesn't always like gray areas, does it? Uh, no, although we lawyers thrive in the gray areas. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here, I think what the whole purpose of this law, these new drinking and driving laws are, is to remove, uh, first of all, the two hours after driving is very clearly designed to remove the defense uh, argument that, well, the drinking uh, levels really only reached excessive levels after the person was driving. And so that two-hour window after driving is now designed to try to allow police to get samples uh, of people who are no longer operating a vehicle. Um, the two-hour limit afterwards is supposed to be targeted to removing what's called the bolus drinking defense. And there is in the legislation an exception or exemption that has been built in. And essentially, if the person has consumed uh, all of the alcohol after they were driving and their readings do not exceed the legal limit, then the officer uh, can't ask for the sample. But other than that, it is very sweeping. And so it is, we in Canada are used to officers requiring some kind of evidence to allow them to ask people to provide any sample of breath at the roadside. 
that's gone now. If you are operating a vehicle, be prepared that the police can, at least until it is challenged by someone like me in a courtroom, um, and maybe it will be, and maybe it will be successful, maybe not. But people for now need to know that police can stop uh, any driver for any reason and ask for a breath sample. We're talking with Francis Brennan from Francis Brennan Law, and we're looking at the real particulars in all of this. One example was raised yesterday, and I'll just kind of lay it out to you. Is it okay? Do you still have time? Sure. Okay, here here was the example. I'm at home barbecuing, and I have a beer, and then I realize, oh, I'm going to need more burgers. So I've had that one beer, and I quickly run to the store because I've only had one beer and buy the rest of the burgers and the buns that I need. And then I come back, and somebody happens to see because I, I bump a curb, I wasn't paying attention, the sun got in my eyes, whatever it was. Somebody decides, woo, wait a minute, I don't like that. I come back, and in the time it takes police to arrive at my door, maybe I've consumed two more beverages while barbecuing those burgers, and now am over the legal limit, and yet, when I was driving, I was not. What do you do with something like that? So, under the old regime, so I'm going to, your example is complicated by the fact that you go back to your house, and the police, whether or not the police could continue to ask you for a sample after you've actually gone back into your home, um, that maybe adds some complication here, but the issue of you're drinking one beer, you drive, you're not over the limit when you're driving, you go home, you have two more, and then the police ask for a sample. In that scenario, even though at the time of driving your blood alcohol would not have exceeded the legal limit, the police are still able to ask for that uh, uh, sample because the exemption doesn't apply. Because you continued to drink after the two hours, but you also were drinking before. Hmm. So you are still kind of responsible for your blood alcohol level just because you have been driving, not so much what your blood alcohol level is while you are driving? And, and so, yes. And so this is one of the big concerns, frankly, that a lot of um, experts are voicing about this, this new legislation, which is, the two-hour window after driving opens up the possibility, the real possibility, that people will be charged and potentially convicted with uh, impaired or over 80 or impaired operation, uh, even if at the time of driving their blood alcohol was in fact under the limit. And that, I think, is very ripe for a constitutional challenge, even with the exceptions that they have written into the law. And what do you think? Will that just take it happening and then somebody saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the person that challenges this and then is willing to pay the legal bills? <laughs> That's it, I think. And frankly, I think that there are quite, enough, from what I've been reading, there are a number of lawyers quite prepared to take on that challenge. Uh, certainly, the I've read some of the Canadian Civil Liberties uh, Association literature, they're also very concerned about the scope of this legislation. And so I don't expect it will take long at all before you see a constitutional challenge in court. Interesting. Francis Brennan from Francis Brennan Law joining us. One more thing, and that is maybe we should spell out that um, the what what police or what the legislation are trying to do away with. You gave it a name that I'd never heard of before, the exemption. What is that? Oh, so the, the defense that they're trying to do away with 
is called the Bullis Drinking Defense. Okay. And so the Bullis Drinking Defense was, I might have had a whole bunch of alcohol to drink just before I drove, just because of the way alcohol, the time it takes alcohol to absorb into your system. It's possible that you are driving for a certain period of time uh, under the limit until the alcohol is fully absorbed in your system. But by the time the police get the sample, you're now registering over, over the limit. Or you have alcohol to drink somehow after uh, you are stopped by the police. Okay. All right. So it, it aims to, to do away with that. I have one more. Do you have two more minutes? Uh, sure. Okay, I hate to I hate to bug you, but I just had an email come in, and this email is asking about. Uh, actually, I have two emails that have come in, but I'll make them quick. Somebody who is physically perhaps unable to provide a breast sample because of a condition like asthma. Is there any anything that goes into that? Yeah. So those ones, hopefully, you know, the police are satisfied with the explanation for not giving a breast sample at the roadside because now it is an offense to refuse to provide a, uh, that sample at the roadside. Uh, often there is, a, under, we've long had refusal law on the books. Um, it's just that now the police don't need a specific reason to ask someone to provide the ASD or to provide the roadside sample. If somebody refuses to provide the roadside sample on the basis of a medical issue, uh, hopefully the police are satisfied with the medical issue you're giving. Otherwise, they can lay the charge for refusing to provide, provide the sample. Okay, and one other thing, and that is if you are given a DUI due to prescription drugs, can you still be asked to get one of those, those breathalyzers that you attach to your car? Is that something that can happen? Yeah, so if you are charged with impaired by drug, uh, the... Uh, provincial legislation that allows people to install intoxilizers and get their licenses back, that does not apply if you were driving impaired by drug. It only applies to driving impaired by alcohol. Okay. We really appreciate all the information. Francis, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Francis Brennan from Francis Brennan Law. So look at all the things we were talking about yesterday. It wasn't, and don't you find when you have a conversation like we had, and and this went on for a while, and we had some great examples brought up, don't you find that when that happens, the next day you find out, well, you know, yeah, we kind of exaggerated that, but that's, that's not really the way that it will work, or somebody brought up something and then you think, no, 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 it's, it's not quite that extreme. I didn't hear anything that we brought up yesterday, that we cited today, that didn't still hold true. Other than Francis saying, yeah, things seem to be ripe for a constitutional challenge in all of this. This is going to be interesting to watch, but it does make you realize, hey, if you are going out tonight and you are going to have a couple of drinks, don't drive at all. You're going to have one drink? Do not drive. What if you go home And you have a couple more. Do not do it. That's basically what we're left with. Just to be safe. Just for now. Just until we do kind of figure out what happens here. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, if you're a DD, be the DD. Don't say, well, I just have less than everybody else. Don't have any. Do it when you get home. And then I document that you were the DD. 
I don't know. I, I mean, we're we're left with a lot of different scenarios here, and all of them seem to hold up at the moment. That's why this has become such a big discussion point this week. We have to take a break. Uh, we'll come back with more in just a minute. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We've got just a little bit of time if you want to comment, 519-643-2222. Bob, your thoughts? Michael Stubicus, how are you doing today? <laughs> that was a, That was a great little skit you did there. You had me laughing. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, be, I, well, I don't know, Mike. Uh, it sounds like welcome to the new uh, Canadian fascist regime, dictatorship. People can pull you over now in the middle of the night or you knock on your door. Boy, it reminds me of a lot of other dictatorships uh, throughout the course of history. I don't like it. And if you're going to pull uh, anyone over to come out, you better have reasonable and probable grounds or something in the law books that state there's a reason to pull you over. Not just because you're returning empty bottles to a beer store. And that's where the discretion is going to come in. And there will be police officers that I would say do it right because they always do. And I would say there'd be a large majority. The concern is, will there be anybody who who, who does what you're talking about? Oh, I think there's going to be. Uh, you're always going to get these people who are, you know, yeah, 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 charge, charge, charge for wearing a uniform. We've all run into them, uh, you know, even getting pulled over for small infractions and getting warnings for stupid things. Uh, you know, in terms of knocking on your door, I mean, I uh, just an, just an example of that. It's it's not really related to drunk driving or drinking and driving, but uh, we have an issue where I live with Bell Canada that triggers false 911 calls to people's homes. So uh, over the course of the last six or seven years, in the middle of the night, I had police officers knocking on my door, waking me up and my family up, wanting to come in and search my house. Well, the first time I questioned it, and I said, well, what's going on here? And they said, well, there was a 911 call. I said, I, I didn't make no 911 call, of course. So it happened the second time, and they came and they, and, and they came in and they searched my home. But I wasn't the only person this was happening to. So I notified the OPP. I notified, talked to the officers. I notified Bell, Bell Canada. Nobody did anything about it. It was just an accepted thing that was going on and they had to do. Well, the third time in the middle of the night, I get a knock on the door. Now I've got two squad cars in front. I've got four police officers standing at my door. And I stood there and I says, is this a 911 call? And they said, yes. I says, well, this has happened two prior times. I says, you're not coming in my house. You guys got to fix this problem because I got to stand my ground here. So I said to them, the only way you're coming in my house is you go get a search warrant because you're not coming to my house. Now, one of the officers got a little nasty with me. He got a little pushy. But, uh, you know, I held my ground. He says, no, you're not coming to my house. You people have done this two previous times. Other people have this issue. So fix it. But you're not coming to my... This is and, my... And did in, they... Bob, unfortunately, yeah. we got to run. Did yeah, they, did, yeah well, I'm just saying, I'm not living in some dictatorship country here. Where you're right. You were able to say, hey, there's an issue. Please look into yeah. it. And that's and that's all we hope for. i got to run, Bob. Yeah, have no a great problem. weekend. All right, you too. Okay, we are out of time. I apologize if you're online. We'll pick this up next week for sure. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thanks to Jacqueline Carbone for her help today. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. Enjoy the sunshine that we have. I didn't get a chance to tell a Rick Nash story. I'll work one into sports. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news. This is Global News Radio. 980 CFPL.